Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm going to define some terms that we use on the show. Hello, y'all. We have been really experiencing a growth spurt, so I want to welcome new listeners. The last two weeks, I have released some very personal and vulnerable stories about my life. I've been talking about how I escaped extreme manipulative abuse, and I just want to use the moment to, to really thank you. And I want you to know that as much as I'm committed to being transparent, to teach genuinely is my calling, to use my life and my story in a healing capacity, for me to offer it to you as an example of healing and growth and what we can overcome, it doesn't mean that it's not scary. And on your path, you're going to face, you've already faced many scary things too. I don't ever want to make it look or seem like I'm not scared sometimes. The goal really isn't to be fearless. Rather, it's to feel the fear, the fear of judgment, the fear of possible retaliation, the the fear of possible rejection, the fear of judgment from our own inner perfectionist that can pick anything apart and focus on the imperfection. So often in life, we are called to feel the fear and move forward anyway. I want to thank you for the supportive feedback I've already received. It's so easy to hear all the negative stories about being out there online and on the internet. So much negativity, so much harshness. But I have had an overwhelmingly beautiful amount of support since the first day that Emotional Badass went out into the universe. I spent so much of my youth as a terrified young woman, scared to speak up. I was really scared to honor how I was different than the people that I was around, that I saw growing up. I was terrified to become me instead of what everyone wanted and expected me to be. The fact that I have a show that has been downloaded almost 5 million times across the entire world is proof To those of you that are struggling with deep depression, please use me as proof. That's what I'm offering because what my story proves, and I am no different than you listening, what my story proves, if you allow it to prove it to you, is that no matter what that critical voice might whisper, we really can change our circumstances. We can really empower our lives and move forward. The difficult seasons of our life can shift and change, develop and expand. 
My life is dramatically different than the younger version of myself could have ever imagined. The depression gremlins, they don't like letting us imagine or dream or believe in the possibility of change. It's why it's so important to fight those depression gremlins, to understand the difference between depression gremlins and your higher self, your wise woman, your wise man. This is why it's so very important that you never, ever, ever let suicidal ideas take root and you toss them from your mind. And maybe if I say it like this, y'all will remember it. I'm I'm from Louisiana, y'all. I'm from the land of giant cockroaches. And when we see a giant cockroach in the kitchen, we got to stomp it. We got to get rid of it. And when you have some suicidal thought in your mind that's creeping in, you got to kind of Deal with it like it's a cockroach that just infiltrated your space. You can't allow it. It's gross. Get it out of there. Send it away. Smush it. Your life can expand. And I'm so glad that you're here. Because really, if you're here and you're into what I'm offering, I made the show for you. I thought I'd do a lighter episode after sharing those kind of heavy stories. I thought it would be a good time to revisit an old episode that I did the first year of just defining some of these terms that I've come to use and that they're so comfortable to me. They're kind of like my name or my husband's name. And so sometimes I want to go back and really just redefine, especially for new listeners. For those of you who are new to me, I know I've got some diehards listening now that listen to every single episode. Hello, I'm sending you a hug. But for new people, I've had a 17-year career, I can't believe that I've been working in a career long enough to say that, a 17-year career in mental health, working in addiction treatment and hospitals and support groups and high school settings and addiction treatment settings and homeless youth shelters. I had a tiny yoga studio for a brief little blink there, and it was a beautiful failing that taught me much about myself and people and business. I'm a trained yogi and a meditation teacher, And I've been in private practice as a psychotherapist since 2009. So I became an entrepreneur and opened my business, hung my own shingle during the last economic turndown. So I've been self-employed for 14 years. And as we experience this economic turndown, I just want to say that for those of you with an entrepreneurial spirit, don't let that get you down. I started my business during that economic downturn. You can do whatever you're called to do. Don't let the circumstances of life be limiting beliefs. I share on this show from everything I've got. That is my calling to use my life, my experience personally and professionally to try to help you cut through the bullshit and get to the healing, the real core of the healing that will get you to peace, to wholeness, to satisfaction in who you are And in this one precious life, when we talk about self-care so much, I think we miss how important self-respect is. I want to explore some terms that help us learn what it is to love our highly sensitive selves, to understand our highly sensitive experience and embrace not just with self-love, but self-respect who we are as we develop, expand, and continue to seek Developing and developing and developing more into who we are 
I am developing as myself every single day. It's part of what I love about being alive. All right, so let's explore some of these terms, okay? So HSP is the first one, right? Highly sensitive people. I am most definitely a highly sensitive person. Now, we can think of this in a few different ways, and I just want to chat with you about it. First off, know that highly sensitive person, HSP, is becoming a more and more and more popularized term. And what that means is it gets watered down. So it's kind of cool in some circles right now to say that you're highly sensitive and certainly no other person can look at another person and go, hey, I think that you're not highly sensitive. But just trust your gut as you move through this. Sometimes very manipulative people like to jump onto healthy movements and use the language. Okay. So let's think about this in two ways. There's high sensitivity that is sensory. Okay. This is about our body. Okay. This is about how our nervous systems are wired. So we have the bodily sensitivity, the sensory system going through our senses, sight, sound, touch, hearing, smell. And then the other way that we can think about this is the emotional and mental sensitivity. Okay, so two schools of thought. What develops high sensitivity? Okay, and I believe them both. I don't believe one or the other. Okay, part of the belief and that I very much believe to be true in my own life and that of many of my clients over the years is that trauma heightens sensitivity. And that makes sense, especially when we live in trauma, because that's a little different than an out of the blue, random traumatic experience that happens once or maybe something happens every few years. Those are experiences when we are really steeped in dysfunctional energy, in unsafety, in insecurity. When we're growing up, it makes sense that our mental system, our nervous system, our bodies Our thoughts learn to be hyper aroused and hyper aware. So we're really great at being observers. But when we're in trauma, especially when we are young and developing, we learn as a survival skill how to pay attention at this hyper level to try to assess what's going on and keep ourselves safe. This makes a lot of sense if we think about our ideas of a typical alcoholic family system. Our little sensitive bodies may really sense how a parent is, what their energy is. Are they slurring? Are they stumbling? Are they smiling? Are they scowling when they come home from work? And that informs us on how to act. This is part of why trauma survivors very, very often grow up as people pleasers, because we learn to please people to avoid abuse, to avoid rage to avoid reactivity if we grow up in a home that has some struggle in terms of mental health or dysfunction or if our parents are immature. So highly sensitive people, sensorarily. We see this in kids who have sensory issues with fabrics, okay, Um, For a long time, I have been working on it, actually, so we can change some of our sensitivity in some ways. I might talk about that in future episodes, but not so much this one. But I very much was sensitive to 
the wind on my skin for a long time. It just made me uncomfortable. And I just want my skin covered in a windy environment. Sometimes we have sensory issues in terms of sound. Some of us are very, very sensitive to sound and can be overwhelmed easily. Some of us have that with smell. The older I get, the more I can't stand uncomfortable clothing on my body. So that informs a lot of how I purchase my clothing, what I'm looking for. I'm really looking for comfort that's not going to irritate and distract me throughout my day. Most of us have some bodily sensitivity when we are highly sensitive people. Some of us only have that kind of bodily sensitivity. A lot of us also have emotional and mental sensitivity. This means that we very much are attuned to sensing people's thoughts and people's emotions. And there's a fine line here. There's a lot of healthiness to this. There's a lot of utility. This is very useful to me in my work and in moving through the world and relating to people. But we can also overdo this in a way where we are processing what's going on around us in a way that takes us out of the present moment. It's kind of like people who take a whole lot of pictures when they're in an experience. It's, it's like that kind of takes you out of the experience instead of being in it and enjoying it. And so there's this balance in that moment of being able to take pictures to have the memories, but not take yourself out of the experience. It's kind of the same thing for highly sensitive people. We can sort of watch and observe and sense kind of like a photographer as if it's our job to be the photographer. But the photographer at a wedding isn't really a guest. They're not really a participant. And so we really, as highly sensitive people, particularly if we grew up in trauma, and that's what heightened our sensitivity, we may need to learn how to dial that down in moments so that we can enjoy life, so that we can be present. It's also true that too much stimulation and hyper arousal will sort of kick off our nervous system and then we're in fight or flight or freeze or fawn. These are the nervous system responses that we have when something about our system registers danger. And if we grew up with reactive people, then just somebody making a scowling face or rolling their eyes or having a thought run through their mind that we notice can signal threat. That's exhausting. That is very, very exhausting. And that constant exhaustion becomes depressive. And then we're anxious in moments because we don't want to be so exhausted. And then so it just kind of cycles on itself. This is part of what I offer with emotional badass. Lots of ideas about how we can balance and keep our high sensitivity a true asset instead of a burden. This is in part why so many people will say about their sensitivity, how do I make it go away? Because there is a beauty to having this sensitivity and there is a burden. And in my younger life, I mostly felt burdened by it too. But when we learned some coping strategies, some balancing strategies, some ways to manage this sensitivity, it really lightens the burden of it and we lean into the blessing of it. So there is a beauty and there is a burden. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. 
it's a time machine of tranquility, filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. So this work, when I say the work, when we talk about therapy being work, the more that we work on ourselves, the more that we learn to work with ourselves as we meet what's complicated, what's hard, what's difficult, what's stimulating, what's triggering in this life so that we can be in self-respect and self-regard. Now, the thing that I say to a lot of highly sensitive people that are sort of beefing with their sensitivity, they're like, damn it, Nikki, I just want this to go away. But when I really lean into that and say, hey, if I have little magic fairy dust and I could take that sensitivity away, you really want me to? Every single person I have ever said that to gets a little squirmy and uncomfortable and realizes in that moment, no, I don't. Because that same part of us that can wear our own booties out being too aware at a social event or a family gathering or a holiday is also the part of us that makes us smile and just feel like a sunburst of energy when we see a sunrise. It's the part of us that makes us cry when we see one of those videos of like a little sibling meeting their other brand new baby sibling for the first time. This is what makes me tear up so easily to those of you who have listened to more than just this episode of the show. That's my sensitivity. That's me feeling this audience, this connection. It's me feeling how far I've come and the beauty of that can overwhelm me. There are times when I am out in public and if a little baby smiles at me, I'm just going to tear up at least a little bit. I am so moved. Like if I see a woman that just looks so beautiful, like she is just wearing some kind of vibrant color and wow, does she just look gorgeous today? Like that will move me. It moves my spirit and it makes me feel something in my gut and my heart that feels like a yes The more that we heal, the more that we learn to love, respect, and honor our sensitivity. Now, there are professionals out there who will make the argument that all high sensitivity is from trauma, is from struggle, is from a difficult childhood, is from not getting our emotional needs met. I don't believe that. I also believe that I was born with a propensity for high sensitivity, I was born a little observer. I can remember being four years old and witnessing things instead of being inside of them. And there's only so much trauma that can happen in those four years, right? Like I had to get older to have time unfold to have more happen to me that definitely affected me and I've had to work through. But something about that really grounds me that this is also my calling. It has to be. Some of us have better sight We can see further and we can see more sharply. And some of us can't. Some of us are blind as a bat. We're comfortable with differences in 
sensory sensitivity when it comes to something measurable like sight and eyeballs. We can do the same thing with hearing. We know that we all don't hear the same exact amount. So we're comfortable with some of these differences. But when it comes to emotion, you know, this is this is part of why I wanted a show to talk about things more. There are limits to how we're going to be able to study emotion, to quantify and qualify emotion. But for sure, we have to acknowledge that some of us are going to be born with more emotional ability and aptitude just naturally. So I believe that it can very much be both and that I have the combination of the two. Born, innate, and also a result of my childhood trauma. Now there is a subset of high sensitivity, and let me say this first. In studies, we believe that 15 to 20% of the population is highly sensitive. And when you really think about it, it makes sense to me And I get a lot of relief from this idea that that means that 80 to 85% of the feedback I've received over the course of my life and the advice that I've received, the understanding I've received, the listening I've received from people who have been listening to me and relating to me has been from 80 to 85% of the population that isn't really wired like me, doesn't move through the world like me, doesn't feel like me or think like me. And that clarifies a lot. No wonder I have felt like an alien at times. No wonder I have felt frustrated trying to figure out why I see or experience something one way and people in my life just cannot see or feel it the way that I'm trying to express to them. So it it has helped me accept these differences instead of trying to be something that I'm not. One of the, the main subsets of high sensitivity is something called high sensation seeking, high sensitivity. I am definitely a high sensation seeker. Now, many of you listening will not be. You will just be highly sensitive. I find that it's very confusing for high sensation seekers to figure themselves out. Okay, These are my people who like to change their sensation. They like to play with their sensation. These are often my people who have a pretty significant drug history. Okay, So it's not just, oh, we use drugs because we're in pain and we're hurting. Or it's not just that we use drugs because drugs have a feeling and it's fun. There's actually something to understanding that we like changing our state. We like playing around with our adrenaline. This is most definitely why I can say I am a highly sensitive person and I seek out high intensity things like I've jumped out of an airplane and I keep trying to talk my husband into doing that with me again. He's still in the camp of no, but we're going to see, aren't we? I also backpack and when I hike, I don't do little mile, mile and a half hikes. Often I push it to eight, nine miles, sometimes 12. Okay, Understanding this helps me be in respect of myself. It's very easy for an outsider to observe me and go, yeah, Nikki, really? Yeah, you're, you're highly sensitive, but you're going to go jump out of a plane? Yeah, right. Maybe you're only highly sensitive when it's convenient to you, right? There's a lot of judgment out there that's just easy to hear, to sense, I want you to be able to understand who you are if you are high sensation seeking. 
because it will never work to expect the world or other people to accept us. And then we'll accept ourselves. It's a mistake that a lot of us make on the path that brings a lot of heartache, a lot of frustration, a lot of strife in relationship. It's actually the flip-flop of that. The more that I respect who I am and work with the nuance and the complification, if you will, of who I am, I am paradoxical. I am a conundrum. This is part of this high sensation seeking subtype. The more that I respect that about myself, then I walk the world showing that respect to others. That's what is most likely to get me the acceptance and the respect from other people who are different when I present with that first. That's part of our work as highly sensitive people learning how to take care of ourselves and be in authenticity and self-regard. All right, just to use this episode to go over this again, introvert and extrovert. Here's an easy way to understand the difference. Introverts and extroverts get their energy differently from relatability to people, okay? Introverts recharge and gain energy from aloneness and quiet time with themselves or in nature. They can be on with people, but people drain them, even if they love people. People are draining for introverts. Extroverts actually get their energy from people. So if I have an extrovert and an introvert, and I am an introvert, believe it or not, despite being on a microphone and doing this show, but I'm an introvert, my husband is an extrovert. So if he and I stand at the edge of an event like a wedding or a convention, we're both going to look at that room and he's probably going to get excited like, woohoo, let's go into this room and work the crowd because it's going to energize him. Now, I can work the crowd just as well as he can. So it's not about the ability to be with people or not, to be on or not. It's about I'm going to stand there and go, ooh-wee, this is going to take a lot of energy. All right, let me shore myself up, take a deep breath, and go into that environment and work the room. Now, at the end of that wedding or that party or that convention, the extrovert, if people go, hey, you want to keep the party going? The extrovert very much might. The introvert is like, hell no, get me away from people. I've got nothing left. I am a dry well. So we have to often peel apart as introverts to go like a bear in a cave to recharge. Interesting thing about introversion and extroversion. For a lot of different reasons, it seems that introverts can have an understanding of extroverts, but extroverts sometimes very much struggle to understand our introversion. So again, we don't have to let not being understood if you're an introvert frustrate you or make you feel weird or like something's wrong with you or like there's something to apologize for or like you're supposed to be an extrovert. It's the Your task there is to learn how to advocate for your introversion and know it's not comfortable. And yes, it challenges the people pleaser that we were raised to be. I've had to learn in my life how to look at people and go, you know what? I would love to do that, but I'm so sorry. My week does not have the energy for that. But please keep inviting me. Please do not misconstrue my multiple no's for me not wanting to participate. I just really have limited energy. Thank you for understanding. 
It's kind of like a magic spell that we cast. The more that we accept who we are and just walk the world in respect of that, that's how we teach people how to treat us. Little statistic for you. We think about 70% of highly sensitive people. So 15 to 20% of the entire population we think is highly sensitive. And then we think 70% of those are introverted and about 30% are extroverted. So if you are an extroverted, highly sensitive person, you're even more rare. Crystal Catalina, who works for me, yes, she is accepting new clients. I am full and not accepting new clients. I am an introverted, highly sensitive person. She is an extroverted, highly sensitive person. I also want to touch on two other terms that I have rarely, if ever, used on this show because they're gaining such popularity. So I want to address neurodivergent. So this is an umbrella term that's getting more and more popularized through the internet. It's not really a clinical term, but it's an umbrella term for mental or neurological differences. And it covers the autism spectrum. Now, I am a highly, highly neurodivergent person. In fact, in some of the lighter moments of my childhood with my own mother, I remember her commenting a lot about her being puzzled about how I thought about things. She just thought it was so bizarre and and good, not bad bizarre, but good and interesting, but just I I would sort of fry her brain by some of the things that I said. She would sometimes laugh, but kind of in a light, nice way and say, how did you come up with that? Or what is going on in that mind? Or how do you even see it that way? I both liked this about myself, but I also judged myself as weird and not fitting in and just kind of an oddball. I don't use the term neurodivergent so much because it seems like the word good to me, like it doesn't really have much meaning. And the more it gets used, the more watered down it gets. And I just think we don't even need a term for it. It's like, yeah, duh, we're all different. Of course, our brains are going to have some individual difference. I've also thought of myself as on the autism spectrum. I fit in a lot of ways, just extremely high functioning. This is getting popularized to sort of identify um, on the spectrum or as neurodivergent. But I feel a bit of unease with the overuse of these terms. It's a similar unease that I feel intuitively when someone kind of lumps together something like a bra getting pulled, like a bra strap getting pulled. Like when we were kids, that was something that happened to me. And no, it wasn't fun. And yes, it was wrong. But I'm a little uncomfortable putting that in the same category as sexual assault. Like I hear the same thing. You know, if I walk by a construction site and some guy whistles at me, I don't like putting that in the same category. First of all, that doesn't bother me. And second of all, I don't like lumping that into something like sexual assault or rape. I feel like it takes away from real rape victims by watering down the experience of true sexual assault and, and what that means for someone who's really facing recovery. So I feel a similar thing about the use of the word autism. But yes, technically, as highly sensitive people, we are neurodivergent and likely we share that autism spectrum. 
You'll hear me use highly sensitive person rather than neurodivergent, which is not wrong or right. It's just my preference. So use whatever word that resonates with you. I also want to define existentialism. I am most definitely an existentialist and it runs throughout my work. And simply, this is just a philosophical belief and it has done wonders for my mental health. It has grown me and developed me from a trauma survivor with severe PTSD and depression and anxiety that I really thought would be chronic for my life. Existentialism has given me a strategy, a grounded philosophy, and a method to help me heal my own attachment style from an anxious attachment style to a secure attachment style. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about what are these existential ideas and principles that have grounded me in my healing with myself and in my work in my practice. I want to end this episode by doing what we do for our Patreon members. Now, if you don't know what Patreon is, or you've never joined somebody's Patreon, what it is, is it's basically a little bitty corner of the internet that you get to carve out and make your own. And when I was thinking about how to grow a community when we first started the show, I really didn't want to do something like a Facebook group. I didn't want to encourage more Facebook. I don't like being on it. I didn't want to start something that put people on it more. And so Patreon is basically a little place where you can throw us a little amount of money, two bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks. Some of you throw us the big bucks and give us 20 bucks a month. And in exchange, you get access to hours and hours and hours of exclusive content and discounts. By coming together and having a big group of people participate by throwing us a little bit of money. It helps us grow content and hold it in a place for you and have a spot for community. I am very, very proud to offer something where for $10 a month, you can come engage a professional with my background and ask any question under the topics that I offer. The next live stream Q&A is about the difference between high sensitivity and hypersensitivity. One of the things we do for our Patreon supporters of the show is we give you shout outs here on the big live feed. So I want to thank these Patreon producers of the show. Thank you so much, Carol and Destiny, Mary, Paula, Melissa, Lorraine, Tisha, Jamie, Mark. I want to thank Aaron and another Mark, Bodie, Trevor, Sarah, Melissa, Kamya, Amy, and Samantha. I want to thank all of you for being on the Patreon. I love the feedback that you give. I love how y'all use it. I just got some feedback this week from someone who was saying how lovely it was that she could go back and listen to old live stream Q&As. It gives her reviews, reviews of the boundaries course, reviews of these concepts. And that's really what I think we need to really heal. Because healing isn't just about gathering information, you guys. And I had that frustration for so long. It's part of why I do this show. We are such a knowledge-based, heady society. Almost every single person that I have ever worked with agrees with this statement when I ask them. 
hey, do you feel like you know all the things, like you've read all the books, you've listened to all the podcasts, you understand how therapy works and what it is and what you're supposed to do, but you just can't get your body to feel peaceful? You can't feel settled, secure, you feel activated a lot? This is because we learn faster with head knowledge. Our bodies learn more slowly. So if we grew up with trauma and struggle, the hard part about that, the hard reality is that our bodies learn to be on guard. Our bodies learned to be anxious. Healing is about recalibrating our bodies to calm and to peace. And that's slower work. It's work that happens not at the conscious level, but at the subconscious level. This is part of why I love what technology has offered my clients and my listeners, because we get to find the things that really resonate with us, the important messages that actually do unlock us and help our knowledge go from head knowledge to heart and body knowledge. And that's when we feel peaceful. We heard dysfunctional messages and we heard judgment about our sensitivity. How many times, y'all? Countless, right? Hundreds, if not thousands, maybe even tens of thousands on the conscious direct level and the subconscious indirect level. So to heal, I promise you, we don't have to hear it the same exact number of times that we heard the dysfunctional stuff. But we do need to understand that we're working on this subconscious level. And so listening and re-listening to content that is healing, that is growth forward for you, that teaches your body how to be in peace, that is what's going to unlock your body's awareness and consciousness and allow the body to feel what your mind knows. So if you're interested in being with other people that are really marinating in my work and hopping in when they need a little something and maybe not looking at the Patreon for a few months, but then jumping in when they need it or when they feel called, come find us at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. We've got some fun things coming up. We're working on a new goal. We're trying to hit 350 people and we are shooting for just 1% of this audience to support us on Patreon. If we get to a few hundred, if we get closer to 500, 600, we're going to be able to put out more of our content in video format. So thank you so much for being a support for us as we support you and all of our listeners across the world. Light and love, and I will see you right here next time for a brand new episode. And if you're on Patreon, you get an exclusive episode that you cannot get here. And as soon as you sign on, they are all ready for you. Light and love. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, 
calm history. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com.